Acts 21, when you got to say so. And the word of the Lord says, Now it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail running a straight course, we came to Kos the following day to Rhodes and from there to Patara. And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload her cargo. And verse 4 says, In finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. God, we love you and we thank you for your word that is truth. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy, God. Lord, we thank you for your loving kindness, and we are humbled before you today, God, asking you, speak to our hearts, O God. Lord Jesus, give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church, God. Lord, that I would decrease, that you would increase, Lord God, that you would make us doers of your word, not hearers alone. I pray that you would be glorified in this day, and I thank you for all of these things, and I ask you this in Jesus' good name, and someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So as we're coming to the closing chapters in the book of Acts, there's one thing that I would like to remind us, and I think that it is important for us as the church of God to realize this and to understand, and it is that God has a mission, and he has included us in and on that mission with him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord for salvation has been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of who God is for one purpose, and that is for us to become the light that shines brightly in the midst of this world. Amen? Amen. The reason why you are sitting here today, if you are a believer, and I won't ask you to raise your hand, but if you are sitting here today and you have had an encounter with Jesus and you've put your faith in Jesus, it is not because somebody was so great, it is because God is so great. And what he did was he ran after you, he got your attention, he gripped your heart, and he showed you his power, his love, and now you are worshiping and adoring him because of that. It is because he is on mission. The beauty of this is, is that we we get to participate in this mission with God. And a lot of times we forget that because things go on in our lives, things happen in our lives, and as I'm looking at this scripture here, and I'm looking at what the Apostle Paul is going through, what we find is that there is some opposition that he's facing, there's some things that are going to happen. We started seeing this in a few chapters earlier when we noticed um, where Paul was talking about he didn't know what exactly was going to be, what was going to happen to him, except he knew that the Spirit of God was testifying everywhere that he went, that there would be hardship, that there would be suffering that there would be change in these different types of things and Paul was not deterred but today I want to talk to you a message that I've entitled on mission in the face of opposition on mission in the face of opposition each of us just as every apostle and any other Christian who has ever called on the name of the Lord will face our own trials carry our own cross and all the while we 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 never are given the option to relinquish our mission to deal with our issues let me say that again each of us, just as every apostle and any other Christian who has ever called on the name of the Lord, will face our own, say our own. Our own. 
We will face our own trials. Each of us must carry our own cross. And nonetheless, as difficult as trials become, as hard as hardship is, as tough as opposition may be, God never says, well, you know what? You get a pass, you can get off mission. He never says that to us. He simply tells us to continue on, to press on, to move forward, and we'll see this great example in the Apostle Paul. And so what God does is he doesn't just say, well, you're going to have to suffer, but what he does is he offers us the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God that is sufficient in our weakness to carry us through and keep us on mission despite our circumstances. When the Apostle Paul, you see in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he was going through some difficulty. The Bible says it doesn't, it doesn't specify to us what he was going through, but what it does tell us is he says that he asked the Lord three times, God, take this thing from me. There was something that was buffeting him is what the Bible says, and buffeting literally means being hit in the face. And so he was in a tangible type of battle. He was experiencing something. Some people believe that he had issues with his eyes, and that may be what it is because he talks about the fact when he's speaking, I believe, to the Philippians or the Thessalonians, he says that they knew what he was going through and they were willing to pluck out their own eyes and give them to him. So that's where you may get that mindset. But here's the thing. Whatever he was going through, he begged God three times to take it from him and God didn't say, okay, you asked enough, I'm taking it from you. What God said was, my grace is sufficient in your weakness because when you are weak, then I am strong. That's what God says to us. And so all of us are called to walk and to run in this mission and to fight this fight and to continue to move forward. But the beauty of this is, is that he doesn't leave us by ourselves. He doesn't leave us in our, in our sorrow. He doesn't leave us in our pain. But he mends us. He molds us. He loves on us. And he walks with us through whatever it is that we are facing. Amen? It is only when we do not understand the importance of our mission... And that we do not trust in the power of God, that we begin to compartmentalize our lives into church, work, family, recreation, instead of living as though it is all Christianity. Every area of my life, I cannot listen, I want you to understand something. Our society wants us as Christians to compartmentalize our Christianity. Are you hearing me? Do not get it twisted. Do not think that it's all good and that this tolerance thing is for everyone. It is not for everyone. It is everyone but us. Now, I, now I know some people don't agree with that. It really doesn't matter whether you agree or not. Look at the reality. I, who, who was it? Minister Juan. Where is he at? I don't even know where he is, but anyway, there he is right there. He was teaching the youth on Friday, and he was saying that he was going through his daughter's textbook in school. Now, listen, I, my daughter doesn't go to public school, so I, I can't attest to this. He was reading through the textbook. I'm telling you what the man read. Okay, and these are the facts. I'm, I'm, I'm quoting him now, so, so the facts are wrong. He's wrong. But um, I love you, man. As he's reading through the textbook, this is a history book, right, American history. And as he's going through history, he says, you know, he's reading through the chapters, and it's talking about throughout American history, there's, you know, a part on religion, right, in, in different religions. And there's, he said there's a part that's like one paragraph that talks about Christianity. He said there's like two or three pages that talk about Islam. There's more pages, you know, in there that talk about all of these different religions. This is what he, this is, this is what he said. He said that he found out that one of the people that was editing, editing the book is a person who is actually a Muslim. Now, do you think that his belief system has any kind of influence on what's written in those books? But here's what I want you to get. Greater than the Muslim who was the editor, greater than any school system, greater than anything, we have to understand something. The enemy is supposed to oppose the church. 
The enemy is supposed to oppose the gospel. And so while I believe, and let me say this clearly, I do believe that we should get as involved as we can in every area that we can influence, whether it's PTA, whether it's whatever um, thing we can get on to help influence, we should be there. The greatest place that we should be is on our faces before Jesus, crying out to him against the spirit of Antichrist that is trying to deceive and destroy and to break up. The Bible says that the enemy comes to do what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. And one of the easiest ways that he does this, the Bible says that we perish for what? The lack of knowledge. And so where is the enemy going to attack us? He is going to attack us in our area of knowledge. And so whether it's a preacher on the pulpit, whether it's you in the street, wherever it is, we need to make sure that we are faithful to communicate the truth of God's word. So that way we as Christians, especially in this environment, that we as Christians understand how important the mission of God is and that we don't compartmentalize our Christianity. That our beliefs are everywhere that we are. It doesn't mean, now hear me what I'm going to say this. It does not mean that we have to go over there and violate rules. Amen, somebody? Amen. Y'all didn't hear me. And let me say that again so I can get a little louder. Amen. It does not mean that we need to go over there and violate all kinds of rules. Amen, somebody? Thank you. Okay, so what I'm saying is there may be some rules that will be violated when they call us. Like, you know, you look at your Bible and you look at the book of Daniel and they told Daniel, Daniel, bow down to this thing. Daniel's like, nope, I'm not bowing down to idols because of what? Because I worship the one true God. And later on came to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, bow down to idols. Nope, not going to do that. And so here is the thing. Those rules, there are some things that may be violated, but here's the point. The Bible says, this is Jesus speaking now. He says to us as his disciples, he says, I am sending you out. I'm sending you out as these doves, right, among these wolves. That's how I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out here to be missionaries, and so you need to be as wise as serpents, as harmless as doves. That's what he said, right? I'm, I'm, amen? Right? I'm, I'm saying that's what the Bible said. I'm, I'm not trying to. I'm telling you what Jesus says. He says this to us. I'm sending you out, and I'm telling you to be as wise as serpent, as harmless as doves. We are sheep that are going out there. He gives us the example, and he shows us you're sheep, and he's saying we're going against these wolves. Why does he say that? Because we need to understand that apart from him, we are defenseless. Apart from our shepherd, we are defenseless. So what do we have to do? We need to depend on him. And the way that we demonstrate our dependence on him is not leaning on our own understanding, but leaning on his word. It is not standing upon our own principles, but it's standing upon his principles. It's about living out the gospel, living out our lives the way that God has called us to. And so we cannot allow ourselves to compartmentalize the gospel. Amen? We must trust in the power of God, that God is with us as long as we are being his witnesses. And I'll say this, to faithfully live out our faith, we must remain on mission in the face of opposition. To faithfully live out our faith, we must remain on mission in the face of opposition. Repeat this after me. Say, we must remember the enemy's job is to oppose the mission of God. We must remember that the enemy's job is to oppose the mission of God. And what we find here when we're looking in verse 4, you look at verse 4 in your Bibles, and it says, In finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. We're going to keep reading here. It says, When he had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way, and they all accompanied us. 
with wives and children till we were out of the city and we knelt down on the shore and prayed. When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. And when we had finalized our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemaeus, greeted the brethren and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who's, who, who owns this belt and deliver him into the hand of the Gentiles. Now when he had heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. And verse 13 says, Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, The will of the Lord be done. So the first thing is, the enemy's job is to oppose the mission of God. Now here's the fact. The fact is, the enemy cannot stop God. Someone say amen for that. He cannot stop God, and ultimately he cannot stop God's plans. But what he can do is he can hinder us. We are the, and, and I'll say this, we are the weakest link in the whole thing. God's plan, God's will, God's purposes, not weak. You cannot deny them. They're going to come to pass some way, some shape, or form. That's going to happen. But the truth of the matter is, you and I are the weakest link. Why? Because we are susceptible to this world's influence in our lives. We're susceptible to different things that will get our minds off of where our minds should be, which is completely fixed on, not on things of this world according to your word, but on the things above. That's what we're supposed to have our mind fixed on. It does not mean that we're not going to go through difficulty in our life and that there are going to be times that we are going to lose focus. That's going to happen. But the reality is, that's why we need one another. Because of what? So we can call each other to looking at the glory of Jesus. So we can encourage one another to be reminded of what Jesus has done. So that way we can be there in the midst of hardship and difficulty and be an encouragement one to the other so we don't lose focus and so that we are not hindering the timing of God's plans. Hello. Listen, we want to make sure that we are focused and that we are in the will of God at all times. But the truth of the matter is that some of us, we just get out of timing. Hello. Some of us get out of time. But look at Paul, the Apostle Paul. He was, I told you guys last week, the week before, he was 100% focused on getting to Jerusalem at a specific time. He understood the timing of God. And he knew that he had to be there for a purpose. And can I tell you something? The purpose that he had to be in Jerusalem at that time was so he could be arrested. Amen. Y'all ain't saying nothing. It was so he could be arrested. It was he. The reason he had to be there was so that way he could suffer. Hello, somebody. Listen, we find here one of the greatest tests of faith and the calling of God upon our lives. Hear me when I say this. The greatest test of your faith, of God's calling upon your life, upon my life, is going to be when hardship comes our way. When opposition comes our way. Because here is the question. When we know the path ahead of us is going to be filled with hardship, how do we respond? 
When we know that the path ahead of us is going to be difficult, it is going to be laborious, we are going to have to really carry our cross. We are going to have to really pray like we never prayed before. We are really going to have to move mountains by faith. When we know that, do we say, you know what, God, I got to back up? Or do we say, you know what, I'm going to press on the way God has called me to press on? Now, here's the thing that may bring some confusion to us. Paul was warned not to go to Jerusalem. You look at verse 4. It says, in finding disciples, he stayed there seven days, and they told him through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. Now, it would seem, now, if we're just, if we're just faithful readers, we just look at that, it looks like, wait, wasn't the Holy Spirit saying don't go there? That's what it would look like to us, right? Now listen, this is why it becomes so very important for us that we, that we look at the original language that's there because if we don't look at the original language, we'll be like, oh, well, Paul was being disobedient. But I don't want to just confirm to you with the, with the language that's there, but the word that is used for the word not is not the Greek word that is utilized meaning to forbid. It is the Greek word that literally means that they didn't think it was the best thing for him. And so what was happening was they knew the Holy Spirit was showing them the suffering that was coming. And they say, man, you shouldn't go to Jerusalem. Now listen, I want you to think about this. Let's think about this. Just l- l- Let's be practical for a moment. You love me. The Holy Spirit shows you. You know, Bishop, he's got a plan. I don't know. He's going somewhere. Holy Spirit shows you, man, you're going to go over there and you're going to suffer some hardship. Wouldn't you in love come and tell me, whether the Holy Ghost told you or not, wouldn't you come and tell me, man, I don't think you should go? I mean, really? Seriously, right? Like three yeses? Amen. Only three people love me. All right. Well, glory to God. I want, I want to get y'all's name that said yes so that way y'all warn me, glory to God. I'm just playing. Okay, so, but if you love someone and the Holy Spirit shows you suffering, shows you hardship, you're not going to be like, amen, go. You need to go suffer. You're not going to do that. I mean, unless you really don't like them and you're like, you need to suffer so you can about. But these people, they love Paul. They saw his heart. And they were like, man, don't go. Don't go. We don't think this is the best thing for you. There's another way for you to get to Rome. There's another way for you to fulfill God's will. But let me take you through some scriptures in the book of Acts that will show you that Paul was not. I want to give you the short answer. Paul was not being disobedient to the Spirit of God. The first thing is, you can write this down, Acts chapter 9, verse 15 through 16. You do not have to turn there, but I will explain it to you. Acts chapter 9, verse 15 to 16. This is the foundational scripture for the apostle Paul's ministry. And if you remember when he got saved, remember he was in a place and he was blind. And there was a man by the name of Ananias. And Ananias was praying and the Spirit of God began to speak to him and say, Ananias, I want you to go pray for Paul. And he's like, look, I'm not going to pray for him. And he said, he, I have a purpose for him. And what he says is, I have a purpose for him. He's going to bring the word to the Gentiles. And he said this, he said, and he will know how much he must suffer for my name. Wonderful calling. Thank you, Jesus. I didn't get that calling. That was Paul. Amen. Hallelujah. I thank God that that wasn't part of the whole deal when it came to me. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that I won't go through hardship. That's not what I mean. What I mean is Paul had a specific ministry to suffering. That was part of his call. That was part of the way that God sent him into ministry that he would know how much he had to suffer for the name of Jesus. The second thing I want to point out to you is in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 8. You don't have to turn there either. But we see here that when Paul was on one of his missionary trips, the scripture says that he wanted to go into two places to preach the gospel. And the Bible says that the Spirit of God would not allow him. Literally, what that means is that the Spirit 
Spirit of God was there and Paul was being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. He had a passion and a desire to preach the gospel everywhere where it had not yet been proclaimed. And the Bible says that he would not resist the direction of the Holy Spirit. The first thing is he's called the suffering. The second thing is he wouldn't resist the Spirit of God because he submitted to the Spirit of God. And then the book of Acts chapter 19 and verse 21 and Acts chapter 20, verse 22 and 23, it says here that Paul was bound in his spirit to this journey. Now let me ask you a question. How do you think the apostle Paul became bound in his spirit? It was through his relationship with his God, his Savior, he was seeking him and crying out to him for his will and his purposes to be done. And so what happened is God gripped his heart and said, this is what I have for you to do. This is what I've called you to do. He knew it in his relationship. And if I can say one thing, you may not be the one that has been called into a ministry of suffering from the beginning, but here's what I want you to know, is that each of us in this place, we have to pursue the understanding of the will of God for our lives, so that way when hardship comes, when difficulties arise, we will not turn the other way. Because if we don't know what God has called us to do, then we will be confused. And when we begin to see difficulty, we'll think, man, am I going in the right way? But if I know that I know because his spirit has gripped my spirit and because I know his will, then no matter what comes my way, I know I'm going in the right direction. This is so important. And the last thing here that I'll say is in verse 11, and you can look at verse 11 with me in in chapter 21. It says, when he had come to us, In verse 10, it talks about this prophet Agabus. And mind you, this prophet Agabus had shown up earlier on in the book of Acts. And it says that when he had showed up, when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now continue on with me. Look at verse 12. It says, Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Now let's stop there. We know Paul gives an amazing response. But here's what I want you to see. Did you see the prophet say you shouldn't go to Jerusalem? Did he say that? Did he ever say don't go? There's a reason why the Holy Spirit has this in here for us. It's the way we can realize Paul was not disobedient. Paul was not disobedient. God didn't tell him not to go. God said, this is what's going to happen if you go. This is what is going to occur if you go. Now you go and you fulfill the purpose that I have for you. Amen? When the Holy Spirit reveals suffering, hardship, opposition, we must ask this question. Is this, whatever I'm trying to do, for God's glory or for mine? This becomes a huge question for us. Is what I'm doing for my glory? Is it for God's glory? Because if it's for my glory, I better stop. See, because there's no grace when it's for your glory. Let me say that again. When it is for your glory, there's no grace over there. You're going to go through it, and God's mercy is there. He's there. He's going to be merciful. He's going to pick you up after all that, whatever happens. I'm just saying. But there's a difference between, see, we don't understand it. There's a difference between God's mercy and God's grace. Mercy is us not receiving what we deserve, right? 
not, not, not receiving judgment that we deserve. Grace is us getting the strength that we need to get through everything he's called us through. There's a difference here. And so what God does is he gives us this grace. But when I say, you know what, I'm not doing this for my glory. It's not for me. I don't, I don't want to be glorified. I'm not doing it for myself. I'd rather say no. See, and when I'm really doing it for his glory, then something happens. If I'm truly doing it for the glory of God, then what do we do? We press on. We must not be dissuaded from the mission that God has called us into. And get this, many times the Spirit of God reveals to us hardship not to say stop, but to say get ready. He lets us see some difficulty, not because we need to stop in our tracks, but because we need to be prepared for what is ahead. We need to be prepared for what we are going to face. Where with us, we start, you know, and I told you all about being superstitious. Hello. You know, we get, to, we, we get all superstitious. Things get difficult. Well, I guess that's not the way God wanted me to go. Here's my question. Did he tell you to go in the first place? Did he tell you to move in the first place? Were you sure? See, see that, that, that's a big question that I love to ask folks. Were you sure that he said that in the beginning? Because when you're sure what he said in the beginning, don't change your mind midstream. Hello. Don't change your mind later on down the road. Well, well, I don't know if he's, no, no, hold on. Time out, time out, time out. That's the reason why you should be seeking his face, fasting and praying, asking him, God, what is your will? What is your purpose? And I'm talking about all types of decisions in life because we need to know if God has directed us. Because if he has, his grace is sufficient to keep us in the difficulties. Amen? Amen. At the end of the day, church, it's all about the mission of God. We're saying, we, you know, we, we, don't, we don't just sing songs, right? We're, 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 we're playing, we're, we're singing this song. It's not about us. We really mean that. I got one amen and one that's right. That, that, that should, that, that's like an anthem like for the Christians, amen? amen? It is all about Jesus. It is all about his glory. It is all about his name. It is all about his honor. That should be the consuming fire in our hearts. God, it is not about me. It is all about you. It is not about my comfort. It is about your glory. It is not about me. It is about you. See, when I live my life that it is all about him, I experience his comfort. I experience his peace. I experience his joy. No matter what I'm facing. When, see, this, this is a telltale sign. Am I living for myself or am I living for him? It is when I go through hardship, what am I experiencing? Of course I'm experiencing hardship. But am I still experiencing his joy that the Bible says is our strength? Amen? Am I still experiencing his peace, peace which the Bible says surpasses all understanding? Am I still experiencing his love that the Bible says surpasses all knowledge? Am I experiencing those things? Or am I over here trying to figure out, oh, well, why is God doing this to me? I'm just saying. And it doesn't matter what we're going through. It doesn't matter what we're facing. I'm just, when, when we're going through opposition... When we're going through hardship, those are the questions that we have to ask ourselves. Am I doing this for his glory? And if I am doing this for his glory, then I'm connected to his joy and his peace and his grace. And he's there to get me through this because it really is all about him. Verse 15 with me, look at it. We're going to read from verse 15 to verse 36. That's a lot of verses. And then we'll break them down. Not every single one of them. There's a lot there. <clears throat> verse 15 says this. And after those days, we packed and went up to Jerusalem. And also some of the disciples from Caesarea went up with us and brought with them a certain nation of Cyprus, an early disciple to whom we were to lodge. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly 
On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. When we had greeted them, we told, he, told, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. Now let me pause for a moment because we'll touch on this, not very much in detail. But in this particular part, what James is saying, is saying here is he's communicating and he's letting Paul know, man, there's a whole bunch of people here. James has been in Jerusalem. He's been preaching the gospel. God has been moving. And these people that are committed to the law, you know, the, 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 the Old Testament law, they are there and they're believing in Jesus. But they're just, they're like, you know what, we got to make sure that we worship on Saturday. We got to make sure we don't eat this. We don't. They were committed to all of that. They were committed to the, they didn't listen. They understood that you weren't saved by those things. But they also understood this is what we've always done. We've always been called to be holy like this, so we're going to live holy. And so this is what he's saying. He's saying there are people that are here like this. Now, their problem was this is the issue. And this is what happens to all of us, okay, And if we're real. This happens to us. Some of us may have been delivered from it more than others. But here's the thing. When we have to separate ourselves, we want everyone else to separate themselves too. I'm just saying. We get a revelation that we can't do this. All of a sudden, everyone we look at, why are you doing that? My pastor told me I couldn't do that. I'm serious. You know, back in the day, people, listen, they, 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 they weren't, the, the, the pastors, I, I figured it out. They weren't trying to be mean, you know, when folk used to walk into church with a goatee. They were just upset because they couldn't rock a goatee. Hello? So they were like, yo, you're going to hell if you're wearing a goatee. I'm just saying that. That's what they were doing. I'm glad I got one on today. Um, Someone think I'm talking to them. But here, the, the reality was that whenever we hear these laws, it's like, oh, man, you know, I can't do this, so why are you doing this? And so we want to measure other people's freedom. And that's what the problem was with these guys. These guys, they understood they were saved by grace in Jesus, but they were really zealous for the law. And what will happen is they go ahead and they're looking at other people and they're like, wait a second, why are you so free and so on and so forth? And we'll continue on in verse 21. It says, but they have been informed about you. That you teach all the Jews who say among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. So these Jews had been informed about Paul, that they were saying that what Paul is saying is he's telling everyone who gets saved, forget about the law. Forget about the law, you don't have to, you don't have to obey the law, which is not completely what Paul was saying. What Paul was saying is the law does not save you. That's what he was saying. He's saying you cannot save yourself through the law. That's what the book of Galatians, when we go through the book of, the book of Galatians next year, we'll look at that and we'll see what the book of the law, I mean, what, what Galatians talks about, our freedom that is in Christ. And so this is what Paul was preaching. He wasn't saying forget about the law. As a matter of fact, Paul says that the law has its purpose, which is what? It is a tutor or a schoolmaster, depending on your translation, to do what? To lead you to Jesus. It shows you your imperfections. It brings light to the reality that you are not holy like God is. Hello. It brings light to the reality that you are not as amazing as he is. You can't do like he does. You are not perfect like he is. Therefore, you need some help. Hello. And you don't just need a little help. You need a lot of help. Hello, somebody. So they, 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 they had lied to the apostle, or they had, lied, they had been lied to about the apostle Paul. Verse 22 says, what then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, 
Do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that they all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. And so here we see Paul or, or James is saying, listen, here's the plan. This is how you are going to show these people that these things are lies. You are going to take these men that have taken this vow. What is that vow? That's called the, Na the, the Nazarite vow. We talked about that, like Samson, Samuel. These guys were Nazarites from birth, and you weren't supposed to cut your hair. You weren't supposed to drink wine. You weren't supposed to go near anything dead for a certain period of time. And so these people had done that. And so then you also had to shave your head, and then you had to offer an offering. And so that's what he's talking about here. That's something that is a choice that you do. Everybody does not have to do that. What that is is a it's a, it's a type of consecration. And so they're separating themselves in order for them to bring glory and honor to God, to seek him up for whatever their reason is. And so they say, we want you to go and enter into this vow with them so these people see that you're not like that. And then he, then he encourages them and says, but we don't force this on anyone. The only reason why we do this to you is because you're Jewish. That's it. That's the only reason, Paul. Everyone who comes here, we're not going to ask them to do that. So continuing on in the story, verse 26, it says this. Then Paul took the men. He didn't argue with them or anything like that. He didn't say, oh, no, I'm not going to do that because I'm free in Christ. I don't have to do that because he didn't say any of those things. It says, then Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each of them. Now, when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, in this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Verse 29, for they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. So again, these, these Jews that are here that are talking are not, even, are not even the Jews from Jerusalem. These are the ones that have been spreading the lies about Paul. They're the Jews that are from Asia. And so they've been fought. They're all coming here. Remember, it's Passover time. And so they're all coming, Feast of Pentecost. It's that time of year for all of the Jewish people to come and worship. And so those people who had issues with Paul a few chapters back, a few years ago, they're here. They've been lying about Paul and now they're trying to bring accusations and the Bible says that even their accusation was false because Paul hadn't brought anybody into the temple that shouldn't have been in there. Verse 30 says this, and all the city was disturbed. The people ran together, seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple and immediately the doors were shut. Now as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. Then immediately took, they, they immediate, he immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. And so Paul is already getting a beating and he hasn't even done anything. Hello. Right, so what, what God prophesied is already beginning to happen here. And it says in verse 33, Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. Again, prophecy being spoken. And he asked who he was and what he had done. And some among the multitude cried one thing and some another, because the devil is the author of confusion. Hello. So when he, had, when, when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. 
When he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people followed after him, crying out, away with him. And we'll stop right there. So, repeat this after me. Say, we must remember the mission requires us to relinquish all for the glory of God. We must remember that the mission of God requires us to relinquish all for his glory and for his honor. And what we see here in a nutshell is we see what one of our greatest struggles will be in our days. And it is for us to follow the example that the Apostle Paul gives us, and that is to become all things to all men that we might win some without compromising the message of the gospel or damaging our testimony. See, because what Paul does here is when he comes into, the, in, into this area in Jerusalem, James tells him, listen, man, there's people that have these issues. And Paul is like, man, I don't have a problem with that. That's fine. I, I'm, I'm going to be, I want to win them to Christ. I want them to see that I'm zealous for God just like they are. I want them to know those things. And so he goes and he makes this decision. And many of us, if we were to put ourselves in that position, I mean, think about it like this. If you were to walk into a church building and they said, listen, you know, for the ladies that wear pants that don't have a dress on, you got to wear dresses. And if you got a haircut and you got your hair, you know, looking all beautiful and highlighted and all that, no, mm-mm. Most of y'all be like, all right, thank you for the invite. I'll see you later. I'm going to go find another place to go. And listen, here's the, here's the point. I'm not telling you you got to be bound in that. What I'm saying is the reason why he embraced their legalism was because he didn't want to offend them. Because he was operating in love. He was considering becoming all things to all men. Some of us brothers in here, you know, we got our goatees on and, you know, all this type of stuff. Nope, nope, you got, you got to take that off. Be like, all right, I'm going to find another place to worship. I'm not, I'm not going to be bound by that legalism any longer. I'm not going to be that way. That's not. And so what happens is we have to make this decision. Am I going to follow Paul's example? And I'm not talking about in church because I want you to make this very clear. I'm not asking you to be a legalist in that sense. What I'm asking you to do is to consider the mission of God and are you living a life to where you are becoming all things to all men where God has placed you? Are you being sensitive to the environments where God has placed you in? And are you being a faithful missionary to spend time with them? Or here's this, or are you too holy to be around those who need the Jesus that you serve? Are you too holy and you're too self? You, you, you can't, listen, you can't go to a place where there's a certain kind of music on because that just offends your spirit. I'm just saying, I don't mean you got to sit there and bob your head and start dancing. I'm not telling you that. That is not becoming all things. That is being foolish. Hello. But you can't sit in a place where they are doing those things because it offends you so much. But do you know that God wants you to be light? And here's the thing. You know who needs the light? The darkness. And if the light never enters into the darkness, guess what will never happen? The lights never come on. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. The thing is, the difficult thing is not to compromise the message because while Paul said, you know what, I'll do whatever they're doing, I'll do whatever they're asking me to do, I'll do all of these things, he didn't compromise the message of the gospel. And we'll see that next week when we look at the rest of his message that he communicates. But here's what happens. We have to come to that place where we say, you know what, I've got to be willing to relinquish all. And here's what I say. It is better for us to be innocent of offense and suffer wrong than for us to be guilty of offense and suffer for being right. It is better for us 
to not offend and suffer for doing right than to offend people and suffer because we were right. It's better for us to say, you know what, God, I want to bring you glory, and I want to bring as many people as I can. The motive, the motive of love must always lead us into sacrifice of our flesh, into sacrifice of our flesh. That's part of the opposition, church, to sacrifice our flesh, to sacrifice our desires for what? For the glory of Jesus. To sacrifice who we are. Our greatest opposition, and I'm getting ready to close here. Our greatest opposition will come against us when we are the most innocent, most committed, and most devoted to our gospel mission. You and I must be relentless to stay on course, to finish our race, and to fight the good fight of faith no matter what. Think about the Apostle Paul. Think about him. You think he was prayed up? Yes. No. I don't, what do you think? You think he was prayed up? I think so. You think, you think he was probably meditating and he was in the word? I would assume so. You think that he was really seeking God seriously about mission? I think so. I mean, you figure this is the guy's third. He's returning from his third missionary trip on foot. I told you all before how many miles these people walked and all this type of stuff. So this is a guy that is pretty committed to the call of God. He's pretty committed to the purposes of God. He's pretty devoted to God in prayer. He's not playing around. He's not faking. He is really serious about his devotion to Jesus. And what happens? Is the path like wide open and just made real easy for him? That's when the path got the most difficult. That's when the path closed up and got the tightest. That's when things became the most hard for him. Why? It wasn't because anything he did. It wasn't because anything he didn't do. It was just because that is the way that life was for him at that moment. And our life is the same situation. Sometimes, and, and it can be different things. It can be sickness in our body. That can be our opposition. It can be financial situations that we're going through that we do not understand what God is going to do. It can be situations that are going on in relationships within our family. We are just going through hardship and this opposition, and we're experiencing this opposition. But we come out of a place of, man, I've been praying. I've been seeking God. I've been in his word. I've been pursuing him. I've been asking him to save those who don't know him. I've been really, really intentional about the mission and all of a sudden these hardships happen. I find out I don't have a job. I find out I'm not getting the promotion. I find out something's going on with my finances. I find out these situations are happening with my children or my spouse or my family members. I find out these things are going on. And so what happens? What do we do? The question is, am I going to live out the mission of God for his glory or am I going to say, man, I can't do this anymore. I got to worry about my things. See, because what the enemy wants us to do, church, is he wants us to relent. He wants us to relinquish not ourselves but the mission that God has. Why? Because, again, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about his glory. It's about his honor. And the enemy wants the least amount of people to hear about Jesus from you and me. And if he can get, get us caught up in our lives and our circumstances and in our situation, and hear me please, it is, it is not, I am not saying that you forget about those things that are real that you are going through. What I am saying is that you don't allow those things that are real to consume you from the reality of who he is and the mission that he's called you on. 
It is not that you don't cry over those situations. It is not that you don't break before his presence. That's the beauty of his presence is that when you do that, that is where you are strengthened and you are fortified to continue on the mission of God. But you don't leave it there in just tears. You rejoice because you know that he is almighty. He is all wise. He is good. He is powerful. And his purposes shall prevail in our lives. That's what we do. And so here's the thing. There's two people in this room. I mean, really, if we look at it, there's the people that are on mission and the people that are not. It's the ones who are on mission with Jesus and the ones who are not. I was reading a quote somewhere. I think it was Ed Stetzer. He said, and it was a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said this. I thought it was an awesome quote. He said, every Christian is a missionary or they're an imposter. Every Christian is a missionary or he is an imposter. So the first question is, are you on mission with Jesus? If you're not on mission with him, he calls you into mission with him. And, 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 and when I say that, I don't mean that to be cliche-ish. If you're not walking with him in a relationship, and he calls you to repent of your sin, he calls you to put your faith in the finished work of the cross. He calls you to turn from your own ways and turn to him so he can save you, so he can set you free, so he can fill you with his Holy Spirit, and so he can send you out of this place with a new vision, not for yourself and your great purpose, but for his purpose in your life. If you're not on mission, he calls you into mission. If you're a Christian and you, and, and, and you are a Christian and you're like, man, I, I'm, I've been an imposter, he calls you to repentance the same way. I'm not on mission. I'm doing my own thing. I'm not worried about people coming to Jesus. I'm not worried about making disciples. He calls you to repentance today. And I beg you, don't just sit there like he's not talking to you. Hear him and respond to him. And if you are a Christian and you are on mission and maybe you're going through some difficulty, maybe you're going through some hardship, maybe you're the one that was on mission hardcore and difficulty came into your life and all of a sudden you find yourself struggling to maintain mission, we want to pray for you today, amen? Because God wants to strengthen you and fill you with his grace. So I'll stand to our feet, please, and bow your heads.